Welcome to the World War I History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial, a museum and research center dedicated to preserving and presenting the history of General Douglas MacArthur, which includes the story of World War I and that of the millions of men and women who served in that war. In October 2016, the World War I Historical Association hosted a World War I Centennial Symposium at the MacArthur Memorial. The symposium focused on the year 1916. The following is a presentation by Greg Hansard, the manager of web and digital resources at the Virginia Historical Society, on the topic, Haven of Safety, the U.S. Internment of German Sailors, 1914-1917. One of my favorite jobs uh, at the Virginia Historical Society was an assistant editor for our scholarly journal, and also our History Notes members newsletter. And one of my favorite parts about that job wasn't fact-checking the articles or indexing, as much fun as that sounds, it was actually trying to find a mystery photo to stump our readers. So one day I was trolling through our postcard collection, because that's a gold mine for, for mystery photos for our readers, and I came across this postcard of German sailors in Hampton Roads. And I took it over to our curator of photography at the time because if I could stump him, uh, then I knew I could probably stump our readers. So I proudly took the, photo, the postcard over to our curator, placed it in front of him, covered up the bottom, obviously, and uh, asked him to identify it. And he said to me, well, yeah, Greg, that's the German sailors who built the tiny German village in Norfolk. So I was a little disappointed. Uh, that he got it right off the bat, but he couldn't tell me any more about the, uh, the group of sailors who were interned. So that led me on a hunt to track down resources on these sailors. And at the time, I was looking for a thesis topic, so how appropriate. And the only sources I could come across at the time uh, in 2011 were um, a small article in a Colonial Williamsburg journal uh, just on the village, but nothing else on their internment. And so then I began my journey uh, to try to research for uh, a thesis topic. And that led me to the National Archives, uh, where they have letters from the Crown Prince Wilhelm's uh, officers and also the Prince Adolf Friedrich, the two, sh- the two ships that interned in Hampton Roads. And I also went to the German Society of Pennsylvania, who ha- they have some of the few remaining copies of the German sailors' newspaper, the Colony Anzeiger. I lived in Germany for six months, but mein Deutsch is schlecht, so uh, please excuse me. And also to the Library of Virginia, uh, where they had the Virginia Pilot and Norfolk Landmark, uh, the local newspaper, which was pretty much a diary of the German sailors' internment, uh, 18-month internment in Hampton Roads. So they provided a great background for my research, um, and I believe it's a wonderful narrative. And today I plan on sharing uh, some of those stories from that narrative with you. But before I, I get started into that narrative, I want to briefly cover uh, the process of internment and then some other areas of internment um, that I've kind of been recently looking into. So just a quick overview of those other areas of internment. Um, and we'll start with... Uh, Hampton Roads, again, which is the the main source of uh, my talk for today. In the spring of 1915, two German surface raiders, the Prince Adolf Friedrich and Crown Prince Wilhelm, running low on fuel and supplies, avoided French and British ships and 
uh, found safety in the neutral port of Hampton Roads. So a lot of the ships that in turn, a lot of the German ships that in turn are, are trying to get away from British and French ships. They're running low on fuel and repairs. International law stated that a belligerent may have up to 24 hours to leave a neutral territory. If they can't leave in that time, then they must be interned. So internment for the German sailors meant that they would remain in the U.S. until the end of World War I. Uh, the U.S. government gave the German sailors several extensions beyond the allotted time, uh, and this is, uh, goes along with other internment situations. Um, but after a month of debating whether or not to challenge those lurking French and British ships, they interned, um, and they remained in the U.S. until the end of the war. Um, so there are other areas where that had interned ships, so New York and New Jersey. Uh, the Fodderland um, was getting ready to take off back to Germany and was interned in, uh, around New York, New Jersey. And you can think of the, the thousands of uh, Germans that were, were there. And uh, we were talking about um, it's Mesmer's book about the Baltimore spiring earlier, and they make a, he make, they make a lot of comments about the German presence in those areas. Um, a lot of that's uh, to some of the interned ships. A smaller area of internment, um, oh, if I get to, sorry, I've messed up my slides. Ah, yeah, there we go. Okay, the Lehman Falls in Charleston. So this is a merchant ship that ended in Charleston Harbor on August 4th, 1914. Um, they had a cargo of fertilizer, and the captain, once he was there, believed if he ventured out of Charleston, he would be sunk by British or French ships, so they interned. Um, the crew was made up of mostly East Indians, and uh, those individuals were sent back, uh, sent back home, and the Germans stayed on the ship. Uh, so this is in Charleston, just an example. Uh, when Germany resumed unrestricted submarine warfare, the captain of the Lebenfels uh, sunk the ship, sent it to the bottom, tried to block the harbor. It was eventually raised, uh, equipped, and then renamed the USS Houston. Um, the captain of Lebenfels uh, was tried for conspiracy along with a local uh, newspaper editor in Charleston. Other areas of internment that included German sailors, um, and that's what my talk focuses on today, the German sailors in Hampton Roads, there were other areas like Guam and Hawaii that held interned German sailors. On October 15, 1914, the gunboat Gaia uh, had approximately 200 uh, men entered Honolulu's port, and the captain was given three weeks to make his fuel and repairs, but there were two Japanese ships waiting off the coast. It's kind of a similar situation that we've seen. Um, they lived in the community, the German sailors lived in the community uh, until the U.S. entered uh, World War I. Uh, also in, in Guam, uh, Guam had interned German sailors from the Cormoran. Uh, about 330 German sailors uh, were interned there in August 1914. They lived with the local community there, um, but this relationship didn't end well. Some of us may know the story. Um, when the U.S. enters the war, uh, the captain of the Cormoran refuses to surrender the ship. He'll surrender, uh, but he won't surrender his ship. So. He tries to scuttle the ship, he's successful, uh, but the U.S. fires a shot over the bow and in the process of scuttling the ship and in the fire, the uh, cormoran loses nine men. Um, so that's just a quick uh, kind of synopsis of some other areas of internment that I've looked at recently, but the, the main part of my discussion is this peculiar 
internment of the 800 sailors that lived right here in Hampton Roads from April 1915 to September 1916, and that's what I'll talk about today. Specific questions that I'll try to answer include how would the Adel and Wilhelm's decision to intern affect U.S.-German political relations, especially since one of the victims of one of the raiders was the William P. Fry, which was the first American ship destroyed by German aggressions during World War I. We'll talk a little bit about that. Also, how would the local community react to the emergence of more than 800 sailors, foreign sailors living nearby, and how would the sailors themselves handle living in a foreign country until the end of the war? We'll talk about a lot of the escapes that take place. So let's begin this narrative. Smoke poured out over two funnels, and the propeller of the Prince Adel Friedrich turned for over an hour as the brash young German naval captain, Captain Max T. Theertians, um, commented, you may miss me at any time, um, as he tried to make his daring dash back out to sea. They had hundreds of visitors that came, back, came out to try to watch this captain potentially make his dash out to sea. This ship had sunk more than 10 Allied ships from its journey from Tsingtao to Virginia. So it had been very active. And now it sat in a neutral port off the Virginia coast awaiting fuel and repairs before she could take off again. The Ayrshans, again, is very proud, very brash. So he's going to say he's going to do everything he can uh, not to leave. He says, I hate to go, but duty comes first of all. And besides, we have our mission to fulfill. The headlines of the local paper, the Virginia Pilot and Norfolk Landmark, said that um, to readers, they greeted him with a bit of surprise on the morning of March 26, 1915. The paper said, with the cruiser Prince Adolf Friedrich making preparations to sail, and with three foreign warships off the Virginia Capes, Hampton Roads took on a real warlike appearance. So you can see how this uh, article in the local paper can startle the community. The incident startled the, the, not only the community, but also the nation. In the Richmond Times-Dispatch, uh, the, the paper out of Richmond called the presence of the Adel one of the most important uh, to happen on North American soil during World War I. The, the raider and its crew of almost 400 um, prepared for their dash out to sea. This is the Ayrshans, uh, the captain. Um, as the raider and its crew of almost 400 prepared for the dash back out to sea, there was another issue concerning one of the Adolf's victims, the William P. Fry. When Germany entered World War I in the summer of 1914, the Adel was one of several other merchant ships and passenger liners that the German Navy converted into armed surface raiders. Outfitted with guns and supplies and given a full crew, they're ordered to sink Allied ships throughout the sink Allied merchant ships throughout the world. On January 27, 1915, the Adel intercepted the Fry, an American merchant ship. After boarding the Fry, the Ayrshans found the wheat cargo to be contraband, and the next day he decided to sink the Fry. When the Adel entered U.S. waters, she had 25 members of the Fry's crew. Oh, there's the Fry, sorry about that. 25 members of the Fry's crew on board, including Captain Keene and, and his wife. So um, that's an interesting tidbit, too. Uh, the Fry was the first U.S. ship sunk by German aggressions during World War I, and the attacker now sought refuge in the victim's homeland. So kind of an interesting piece. Despite the complications of the Fry and the dangers of the lurking Allied ships, the Ayrshans made it clear 
that once he arrived, he wasn't intent on staying. He was disappointed in waiting and not serving his country. You have no idea what it means to lie idle here when we have uh, family uh, fighting at home. He made it to Virginia Chase by six warships, so he commented, it wouldn't be so hard to make it out uh, with three there. I can elude them. So again, he's very, very brash. By March 26, the U.S. Navy reported there are three British or French warships, uh, sorry, three British or French cruisers outside of the Virginia Capes. Defensive fortifications were quick, quickly increased. Marine and Coast Guard units set up ammunition, guns, and searchlights at every battery. Even the Reserve Atlantic Fleet was called upon to patrol up and down the Virginia Capes. On the morning of April 1st, the Ocean's checked the weather forecast, but didn't indicate whether or not he would go. He instructed the paymaster to pay all the claims that they had accrued during their time. And he explained that with his vessel scraped and painted, a new coat of paint, he can make at least four knots uh, more than he was able to on the way in. The Prince Adel gathered all necessary provisions. She replenished her water supply. And I said necessary provisions. She also got tobacco and matches, obviously, all the essentials. And since it was April, a large, or in, in May, a large quantity of candy, including hundreds of decorated chocolate Easter eggs, were put on the ship, too. He closed off the entrances, and they would be full of coal by the morning. The Irshans continued to threaten to leave until the U.S. had enough. On April 7th, uh, Collector of Customs, Norman R. Hamilton, gave the directions of his department. Uh, the Prince Adolf Frederick must depart by 4 a.m. or intern and be under American jurisdiction. The U.S. government awaited the Irshans' response. On April 8, 1915, was a gloomy day for the captain. The letter he was about to submit would seal his fate. He would be interned, stuck in the U.S. until the end of the war. I inform you I intend to intern the Prince Adolf Frederick, wrote the Irishans. The main reason is because the relief he, he claimed they, they were going to receive never came. We don't really know if there was relief coming or not. Um, and the number and force of the enemy cruisers guarding the entrance made it almost impossible for his crew to exit. And I didn't want to deliver my crew to almost certain destruction, lamented a melancholy Theertians. As the crew of the Adel prepared for internment, another situation was developing a few miles off the Virginia coast. Um, the Crown Prince Wilhelm, another surface raider, was attempting a similar dash through the Virginia Capes to seek refuge alongside the Adel. So we kind of just got through this drama of uh, the, the, the Adel threatening to leave and now another German uh, surface raider is attempting to come in. With less than 25 tons of coal left in her bunkers and a crew sickened with beriberi, Commander Paul Theerfelder, captain of the Crown Prince Wilhelm, knew his only choice was to make a dash through these French and British ships. It was April 10, 1915, and his crew had been at sea for 251 days without seeing port. Now they would attempt a dangerous mission to come alongside their raider, uh, their fellow raider, the Adel. Deerfelder called a meeting with his crew and told them there are about six British cruisers outside the Capes, but with the help of God, we'll make it through. As they began their gallant dash, an excited Polish officer on the Crown Prince, who will be one of our main characters today, Count Alfred von Nijakowski, he caught a glimpse of the light ahead and explained, these lights were the first sign ashore I had seen in many a day. They were so welcome, they seemed like home. He believed behind those lights 
was a haven of safety, which is kind of the title of the talk today. A great nation, friendly to both sides in war, and now our sole hope of protection. The, there were British ships, and crown, the Crown Prince had to go right through them. Theerfeld called to his engine men, lay on men, we're going through. They inched closer and closer, hoping they would get by the British ships. And a few moments later, they made it through. They were safe. The crew celebrated, Nijakowski recalled. Some turned somersaults, and some acted as if possessed. Along with other crew members, uh, Nijakowski and many others believed that the ship was now safe. They weren't beaten out to sea, and uh, you know, they would continue on. The German raider that had sunk more than 14 ships now sought refuge in a neutral harbor for the remainder of the war, the same port that held the Adel. The next few weeks were similar to the Adel, the Erfelder was just as brash as the Ershins, but by the end of it, he had to intern. It was the same situation. He couldn't submit his crew um, to almost certain destruction, and he had about 60 crew members that were sick. On May 3rd, 1915, the Crown Prince interned at the Norfolk Navy Yard. They joined their fellow raider, the Prince Adolf Friedrich, and the ship's daring adventures on the sea was over. But now a new adventure would begin, the adventure of their internment. The Norfolk economy greatly benefited from the German sailors living in the community. During their 18 months of internment, the sailors purchased goods from supplies for the band, Christmas decorations, um, they uh, got cooking supplies, they requested passes to go to the dentist, uh, the hospital, laundry, money exchanges. Um, one of the more regular purchases, uh, when I was at the National Archives going through the letters, Correspondence, you know, every 15th one is a receipt for uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon. So they had to get their bi-monthly shipment of Pabst Blue Ribbon for the sailors. So I thought that, that was pretty interesting. <clears throat> the mayor of Norfolk, uh, Windemar Mayo, and president of the Chamber of Commerce, uh, went to meet with Secretary of the Navy J J Daniels um, because there, there were threats, uh, well, there were um, rumors that these ships were going to be moved out of Hampton Roads and um, to, to make room for the expansion of the naval yard. Well, the local community in Hampton Roads is really worried about this because they're getting all kinds of money uh, from these sailors. So they go quickly uh, and meet with uh, Secretary Navy uh, Daniels. This is also the, the secretary who uh, takes over after Daniels, D Denby as well. Um, but they wanted to try to convince Daniels to keep these ships in Hampton Roads. And on May 1st, 1915, Daniels made the decision to keep the ships in Norfolk. And his response was with the potential disaster of moving the ships. Um, uh, the, the idea was to move them to Philadelphia, which they will eventually be moved to. And also the outrage from the local government officials and merchants if they moved them, the ships uh, remained in, in Norfolk. Local companies took full advantage of the potential tourist destination as well. They offered sightseeing tours uh, to go see these German ships. Uh, one of my favorite advertisements in the uh, Virginia Pilot was, uh, it was right after the USS Pennsylvania launched, and you can see this ad at the bottom of the paper. And in big letters it says, see the German cruiser Prince Adel Friedrich. And then, at, you know, in kind of tiny letters next to it, it says, and also the USS Pennsylvania just launched. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see that this um, you know, kind of mystery uh, surrounding the German sailors. Lots of people used it as a, as a tourist pitch. Um, 
More than 10,000 tourists visited the cruisers during their 18-month stay. Some of the visitors in, included prominent uh, citizens uh, from the city across the state. On April 2, 1915, several dignitaries visited the Adel, including three congressmen, a local principal uh, from a local high school, um, Henry Kern, who was a German business owner, and also the mayor of Norfolk. Um, Captain Theershens commented that he enjoyed the company of Henry Kern, and he, he told him that, uh, well, when the war is over, let's go to your house and let's not have any banquets or big parties. Let's just have some noodle soup. So the German captain's talking to uh, a, a, uh, an individual with a uh, German background about let's go home and just have some noodle soup. Um, Captain Theershens was also a guest of honor. Um, this is just an example where there were a lot of passes in request. Um, this is from a congressman asking that a doctor, one of his friends probably, be allowed to go see uh, the German raiders. So you see a lot of those in the, in the correspondence. Captain Theershens was also the guest of honor at several events in Norfolk. On April 14, 1915, he was guest of honor for New York Congressman Homer P. Schneider. Uh, Theershens entertained the congressman on the ship, and then the congressman uh, reciprocated the favor. They, met, they also met with the collector of customs and several transportation businessmen from around the country at the, the Monticello Hotel to discuss the importance of the Naval Yard. And uh, when Schneider went back um, to Congress, he pushed for improvements of both the, the harbor and the betterment of the Norfolk Naval Yard. So this is a story that most people know about these German sailors because uh, just like the postcard that I had, there were a lot of postcards of this tiny German village that they built. It was a major tourist destination. Um, tourism also increased not only because of the presence, but because of this village. Um, more than 1,000 visitors toured the small replica village in one day in 1916. The village was named Adolf Wilhelm after the two ships, and it had more than 50 uh, miniature buildings. The buildings consisted of a church, a newspaper office, a telegraph station, a postmaster station, fire department, uh, gymnasium, bowling alleys, marriage license bureau. This is a, another piece of correspondence that I saw in the, the papers a lot. The sailors were requesting um, permission for their wives to, to live close by or their wives to get passes. So you can see the need for a marriage license bureau, 18 months uh, living in this area. Um, tourists flocked to the tiny village uh, to, to experience German culture and, and craftsmanship. Um, visitors paid 10 cents to get a pass to enter the village. They could purchase postcards, uh, newspapers, toys that the sailors made, and all the proceeds went to the Red German Red Cross. Sailors performed acrobatic shows and sang songs. There are tiny lakes and gardens and farms. Um, so it's just, uh, I think about Disney World of, uh, of 1914, there you go. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, one visitor remarked of the village that it's an atmosphere of Kaiser and culture, Wiener schnitzel, and good sturdy Lutheranism, and everything you could find in an honest, hardworking German town of the old country. Visitors paid, uh, or visitors still had the opportunity to tour the Adel, um, where the men stayed, that housed the men's sleeping quarters. On a tour through the Adel, visitors could get a beer for two and a half cents and a sandwich. 
Um, on one Sunday, and this is my favorite story, on one Sunday in May 1915, a local preacher wanted to investigate the sale of beer on the cruiser. So Reverend Westfall of South Street Baptist Church here in Norfolk visited the Wilhelm and observed the sale of beer uh, to several American citizens, including himself. So how appropriate. Um, Westfall then formed a committee to look into this issue, and they were going to draft a letter to Secretary Daniels about the sale of beer on Sunday aboard this cruiser. So you think Secretary Daniels has uh, better stuff to worry about. Uh, Westfall and his party purchased six rounds total when, when they were there. So he made sure it was beer. Um, he preached to his congregation the next Sunday about, uh, you know, don't sell beer on Sunday. And he involved the local police, uh, but they could do little because the beer was sold on the German cruiser, uh, a, foreign, a foreign ship. As a compromise, the German captain said they wouldn't sell beer uh, to, to Americans on Sunday, to American citizens. During internment, the sailors found activities to pass the time. Many of these activities and events were part of American culture, sporting events, and even military, um, military events um, they, they watched. They participated in religious services alongside American citizens. The sailors became part of the local community by celebrating holidays together. And they also participated in boating exercises um, within the limits of the Navy Yard. They were introduced to baseball. Monique mentioned uh, this earlier. Uh, she was talking about basketball. Uh, but the sailors were introduced to baseball. They went to games of the Virginia Baseball League. They even had a field uh, in the yard uh, where they played the games. Sailing was another major activity for the German sailors. We can see how this could be a problem. We're allowing uh, German sailors who are interned, so they're supposed to be confined to the US uh, sailing permission. Um, in May 1916, four boats manned by German, German sailors went beyond the bridge that uh, defined their boundaries. And according to Theertians, the officer in charge um, didn't know that they crossed the boundary. Um, so he responds back that he'll put reliable officers uh, on guard duty. The summertime presented new difficulties for the sailors. Uh, they weren't used to the Virginia heat. Um, so. Uh, beaches, bathing resorts, uh, became uh, very desired for these German sailors. So public beaches they used, but also private beaches. There was a private beach um, that the owners of Willoughby Spit um, allowed the German sailors to use. Um, so that was um, a part of their recreation, going to some of these beaches. And as I mentioned, they attended uh, religious services and holiday parties. Um, uh, on May 3rd, 1915, more than 500 people attended Sunday school at Monumental Church, and including members of the German ship. They said it was the largest number that had received the Holy Communion uh, that year. The German sailors' Christmas activities included religious services and parties. On Christmas 1915, 255 sailors from the yard uh, went to the local church and sat alongside uh, American uh, sailors. The German sailors also threw a great New Year's Eve party. Um, and the party was well attended, including the Baltimore Sun ed newspaper editor, H.L. Minken. And Minken uh, has some great descriptions of the party and what went on. Uh, he first noted that though these ships were interned, they had a remarkable amount of freedom of movement. 
and specifically about the New Year's Eve party, he recalled two moments during the evening. One is that uh, Elsie, uh, which is Rear Admiral McLean's wife who watches over the German sail sailors. So McLean's wife was pregnant, and Theertians, the captain of the German cruiser, offered her a toast and also uh, a toast to the newcomer. The second was that Nijakowski, the German officer, had to cut off the beer supply for the German sailors, and his response was that they lack the drinking capacity of Navy sailors abroad. So they're getting used to this lethargic, uh, you know, internment. Uh, uh, Minkin had a lot of fun himself. He notes uh, in, in one of his quotes is that, I was so much used up that I slept all the way home. So he had a little too much fun at the party as well. The German sailors found activities like baseball, boating, and swimming to keep them busy uh, during their time of internment, but most of them longed to get to their homeland, to be free, be with their families. And the feeling, this feeling, is what led to the main problem of internment uh, for the U.S. government specifically, uh, escapes. Despite the large amount of liberty that these German sailors were given, they were still not free. They lacked freedom, and... Um, this lack of freedom created escapes. One escape in particular um, caused a great stir. On the morning of October 10, 1915, six interned sailors left the Norfolk Navy Yard dressed in civilian clothes. They embarked on a yacht and, and slipped past uh, the guards at the coast of Cape Henry and headed south. Um, they bought the yacht from a Norfolk resident for $1,600, the yacht Eclipse, and they had worked on this yacht uh, for about a, for over a month, and what they were doing is they put new sails and several coats of paint and made the engine twice the power of the original. So we think this is a problem waiting to happen with these sailors who bought a yacht and were working on improving uh, how fast it was. Um, they'd been out several times but always returned. Beatty was angered at these escapes, and he uh, said no further leave or furlough be granted. Um, until further orders. Even Franklin uh, Roosevelt, Assistant Secretary of the Navy, got involved specifically with these German sailors and asked to um, deny passes um, for the sailors. The flight of this eclipse sparked several rumors uh, about the whereabouts. On October 10th, a local yacht man reported that he had seen the eclipse near Craney Island and that she was poorly handled to the extent that she was in danger of being capsized. And he also went on to say, they were a dangerous crew to handle any boat, even a fine-keeled boat. And if they continued, it would definitely capsize. There were also rumors that the ship um, had been equipped with guns off the coast of Florida and joined up with a raiding party um, to, to try to take out British and French ships. Other rumors claimed they had joined a, a Swedish steamer off Texas and went to Cuba or Mexico. Two bottles, so message in a bottle, two bottles came to the Virginia shores. The, the first message said, on board, yacht eclipse, 90 miles off Hatteras in the howling gale. No water, no gasoline, everyone exhausted. The next message was found on Virginia Beach uh, on Ocean View, and um, it said, we are sailing for Germany on yacht eclipse from six of the German ship line in the U.S. Navy Yard. The Rear Admiral Beatty uh, believed the rumors to be false and said that they were either picked up by the British or drowned at sea. The crew of the Eclipse never turned up, and Beatty was probably right. Um, 
that they drowned at sea. I think it's uh, worth an uh, investigation further or, or some exciting movie of these German sailors on the yacht. <clears throat> the saga of the eclipse, along with the escape of several other sailors, forced Washington to take measures to ensure that this wouldn't happen again. Secretary of Navy uh, Daniels wrote to uh, Beatty saying to either increase guard or take any other necessary measures to make future escapes impossible. This is another example of uh, an escape that happened. Um, the captain of the German ship is writing back um, to Rear Admiral Beatty identifying a theory, uh, a, a German sailor who escaped and he's, he's made a drawing of his tattoo that he has. So there are a ton of escapes. Um, the eclipse is just one example, and I just put this in as another example of escapes. After almost seven months of watching the German sailors, Rear Admiral uh, Frank Beatty retired from his post as commander of the Norfolk Navy Yard. Rear Admiral Walter McLean would take over Beatty's position in the end of November 1915. He had served on Admiral Dewey's staff uh, and also on, the Washington, on Washington's Naval Advisory Board and uh, was tasked to take control of the situation, including the escapes. The problem with escapes were always an issue for the U.S. government. It was embarrassing. Um, in the correspondence, British officials, uh, government officials are writing constantly, uh, sometimes false reports about sailors who escaped. You know, they're, they're also trying to get a hold on this situation. No matter what freedoms and liberties were given, to these German sailors, they were never truly free. They couldn't go back to their home country. As I start to conclude here uh, with the sailors being transferred to Philadelphia, um, that's, that's sort of where my, my uh, uh, research really, really stopped. I focused on that 18 months in Hampton Roads. On September 26, 1916, U.S. authorities moved the German sailors to the Philadelphia Naval Yard a decision that had been de debated upon since the sailors' arrival had now come true. This meant that sailors uh, would have to tear down their village that took almost six months to create. When the village was torn down, um, one uh, article uh, noted that the German village at Norfolk Naval Yard is no more, and the whole South is suffer thereby. So it, it, it's uh, obviously an exaggeration, but it shows that uh, people of the South uh, did come to this. It was a popular destination. The sailors' time in Philadelphia was short and not as lenient as a time in Norfolk as increasing strain on German-American relations continued. Uh, in April 1917, um, after a series of disputes with Germany over unrestricted submarine warfare, the U.S. enters World War I, and all interned sailors now become prisoners of war. The sailors from the Adel and Wilhelm were sent to prison barracks in Georgia, Fort McPherson, and now enemies of the U.S. and not friends of the local community that didn't have the same opportunities. The German sailors were released in 1919, a few months after the end of the war. Most went back home to Europe, but some sailors, like Count Alfred von Nijakowski, enjoyed their stay so much in Norfolk that they decided to make the U.S. their home. Sorry, that's the village uh, a little behind in my slides. Nijakowski, the former German naval officer from the Crown Prince, became a U.S. citizen in 1926 and married. 
Nijakowski's choice for best man at his wedding may have surprised some people because of the past strain on German-American relations, but to others who knew about the internment, it may not have been such a shock. His best man was retired U.S. Navy Rear Admiral Walter McLean, who had watched Nijakowski along with the rest of the German sailors from the two ships. Two years after his wedding, Nijakowski published a book on his experience aboard the Crown Prince. He ends at internment. In the foreword of his book, The Cruise of the Crown Prince, his best man, Walter McLean, an overseer of the German sailors, explained that the Wilhelm was a friendly visitor, and Nijakowski became my guest. Positive relationships like Nijakowski and McLean's echoed throughout the internment, and these bonds are what made this internment so unique. Nijakowski's conclusion not his forward is what made me realize that there was a great story behind the postcard that I found in the stacks at the Virginia Historical Society. He said the events of our internment were as interesting to me as those of the cruise. I believe Nijakowski was right, and now I hope you do too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.